Do you like podcasts about movies, television shows, books, games, and pop culture? How about sports like football and tennis? Here at Freaking Geeks Media, one of our many goals is to create a variety of podcasts that you can enjoy listening to. From the Freaking Geeks podcast to Hungry for Hannibal, Friday Night Mics, the American Gods podcast, and Stranger Things, we know that giving you an assortment of options is one of the best ways of bringing you back for more. But it does take quite a bit of work and expense on our end to make these podcasts a reality. Patreon gives us the opportunity to make a living doing what we love. However, to do this, we need your help. By donating as little as a dollar a month, you get access to both past and upcoming Patreon-only content, as well as early access to regular episodes before they appear on iTunes. Other tier rewards include monthly Loot Crate giveaways, access to live broadcasts, Freaking Geeks t-shirts, magnets, and much more. We can honestly say that anything given is greatly appreciated. So, consider supporting us by going to www.patreon.com slash freakinggeeks and check out what we have to offer. We think you'll like what you see and hear. Welcome to the Tennis Addict Podcast, the podcast for tennis fans by tennis fans. Listen as the hosts break down the latest news and tournament results from around the tennis world. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. The podcast is produced early each week, so feel free to add us to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook. The links will be in the show notes. Here are your hosts, Mike, Eric, and Michael. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Tennis Attic Podcast. I'm your host, Michael, and with me is my co-host and brother, Eric. Hello, everybody. All right. So uh, in this episode, this, of course, is our U.S. Open mid-tournament recap of the week that was at the final Grand Slam of the year. And Eric's going to take it away. He's going to be kind of taking lead in this episode. So, Eric, uh, we have some news to get to. There's a few items on our docket before we get down to recapping the matches and the players and all that. And and, and interesting news that you wouldn't expect. I, I thought that would have been something different. So we're going to get right into it. First thing is on Andy Murray. Um, he alleges that Fernando Verdasco received some coaching in the locker room during the 10-minute break. The heat break that uh, you know the U.S. Open decided to allow them after I think it's like two sets you can do one. Um, Verdasco would go on to win the match. He said that while he did speak to his coach very briefly, that coaching did not occur. Um, it uh, it's really hard to know what to make of this. I feel that the, when the U.S. Open decided on this, I don't think that they really had clear clear format and rules to follow and it leaves some gray area that maybe Fernando took advantage of maybe not yeah I think you kind of hit the nail on the head and Michael 
by the way, of course, who is not here at, uh, in this episode, he did leave some notes for us. And he, he says that he feels that the rules have not been followed or enforced very well lately and that this is a prime example. And it kind of goes uh, hand in hand with what you just said. I think that that's right. I think what happened was they saw the forecast and how hot that it was going to be during at least the first week, if not for much of the U.S. Open. And they instituted this this heat roll, right? And I think it kind of came basically at the last second. And when you do things like that, when you don't plan this out very well and you don't have good communication with the players and the coaches and the staff and all of that, things like this can happen. This could be something where, you know, Fernando may not have known that this was uh, an issue. He may not have known that you couldn't have coaching in the heat break or, or, you know, just as easily he could have known, but maybe thought he could take advantage anyway. We don't really know. Uh, Andy seems to have known the rules. Uh, but again, this comes down to a lack of proper communication with the staff and the players and making sure that everyone understands precisely what the rules are, and on top of that, enforces them. Meaning another issue here is that there weren't officials in the locker room making sure that none of this was happening. Uh, the fact is Andy had to go find somebody and say, hey, look, this is going on. This shouldn't be allowed. Why are you guys allowing this? Why isn't there somebody in here monitoring the locker room to make sure this thing, these things are not occurring? Exactly. That's why I think it's kind of an oversight on their part. Um I do think that Fernando should have known too. I mean, it, it, there's no coaching period unless of um, a delay, like an official like rain delay. Uh, you know, they can talk with their coaches when they get off court and stuff like that. But I think here should have been pretty obvious um, that Fernando shouldn't have been talking to his coach at all. But again, how do you treat it? You know, if it's a if it's a legit break, do you treat it like when there's a rain delay and they get to off of court? If it's for more than a, you know, a certain amount of time, like they can talk to their coaches and whatnot. So I'm not really sure that if I could blame Fernando as much, but there's a little bit of, you probably should have asked somebody, you know, can you, can I, can I not talk to my coach? Yeah. Those things should have been asked, but you know, I think this falls more squarely on the USTA uh, uh, for not properly getting this rule in, uh, inserted and making sure that everyone knew beforehand. It, it doesn't sound like there was very good communication based on what I've read online. Uh, the general idea was that this kind of came along very quickly and was kind of just said, hey, look, this is going to be really hot. We probably should put a rule in here, you know, safety of the players, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, hammered this thing out and like no time flat. And then there we go. So, yeah. Um, so we'll see. I mean, I, I'm sure, you know, if the heat thing keeps going, I mean, now I'm sure there's people watching and making sure that that doesn't happen. I don't really necessarily think that that even if he did get some coaching, you know, does it make a difference? It can. But at the end of the day, I don't think that. Even if he did get some coaching, that that was the exact reason he came back and go, going to win. Oh, not came back, but he was going to win the match. Um, so, all right, we're going to move on to the next part. And this one's just as strange. Uh, 
and I did witness this. Mm-hmm. Uh, did Chair Umpire Mohamed Leone go too far with regard to his so-called pep talk to Nick Kyrgios in his match against Pierre Hughes Herbert? I'm going to put what Mikey wrote down. Is um, He said, yes, but for the right reasons. McInerney said that nothing should come of this because he won't do it again, and I agree. Okay, so here's what happened. Kyrgios was down 6-4, 3-0. During the changeover, Leone stepped down from his chair instead of warning Nick about, you know, playing very passively, which it did look. He looked like he just kind of didn't care. It said he seemed to try to pump him up. He said things like, I like you. I want to help you. I've seen your matches. You're great for tennis. Afterwards, Nick stormed back to win the second set in a tiebreak and rolled through the last sets, last two sets easily. I don't think, I think it was unintentional pep talk. Uh, when I saw him do it, it was more like, hey, this is not good for the sport. You at least need to give an honest effort. You're good type of thing. Like not encouraging him like intentionally, hey, make this a good match. I know you can win. But more like, hey, I know you're not giving it your all. I've watched you play before. You know, I like you. Like, like actually give an effort. But basically, just tell him, hey, how about you give it an effort type of deal. And I think unintentionally it did help Kyrgios. Um you know, because it seemed like he got into the match. I don't think if he wouldn't have been talked to, I don't think he would have come back. I think he would have stayed kind of out. And, you know, he said it didn't make a difference. But, you know, mentally, when somebody like an umpire is supposed to be impartial, while he's not saying to you, like I'm saying, not intentionally, hey, you can do it, so on and so forth, but kind of gives you a, hey, I realize you're not playing even attempt a tenth of what you can do, how about you give an honest effort? I think it turned him into actually trying. I mean, I don't know if that's what you saw because I saw a pretty quick difference. Um, yeah. I just don't think it was Leone's intention to cause that more just bringing to light, you know, Hey, this is what I'm seeing. You're good for the sport. How about you try? Right. And, and here, here's my take on this. There's a couple different, um, you know, I guess prongs to my argument here. My first thing is something that Andy said, which was he didn't have to get down from his chair, which I agree with. He didn't have to get down and, and kneel in front of, of Nick and, and talk to him in the more intimate, intimate uh, manner in which he did. Um, I mean, I'm going to get to what he said here in a second, but that, that first thing is that that broke, I think, the appearance of impartiality. To a certain extent in the way he did it, right? I mean, he's getting down there. He's kind of getting down to Nick's level. He's speaking, you know, somewhat quietly to him. Uh, that wasn't necessary. Um, apart from everything else, he should have sat up in his chair and, and said what he needed to say or what he wanted to say to Nick and kept that distance as there should be between the head umpire and the player. That's number one. Uh, number two, in terms of what he said, uh, yeah, look, it is over the line. I understand what you're saying and I agree. I don't think the intent was, let me help this guy turn the match around. Uh, I do think he was trying to just more or less say, hey, look, this doesn't look very good. It doesn't look good for you and it doesn't look good for the US Open. And to a certain extent, hey, the fans paid money to come here and they don't want to come here and watch a person on the other set or as one side of the net seem as interested in hitting the ball as watching grass grow. Um, but the problem is that it inadvertently pumped Nick up or, or what I think it really did was it kind of shamed him 
a little bit into going out there and giving an honest effort. You know, it's one thing to have fans boo at you because you're not trying. But when you have the the head umpire come down off his chair, kneel in front of you and say, hey, look, buddy, you're better than this. I know you can do better. Can you at least go out there and give an honest effort, at least try? Kind of makes someone, even like someone like Nick, who looks at times like he could care less what other people think, which I think is an illusion. I think he cares greatly about what other people think. Um, when you have the head umpire for the match, someone that's a well-respected uh, umpire who's been doing this for like over 20 years, uh, he was very popular generally uh, with the players because he seems very fair. For him to come down there and say what he said, it doesn't make you feel very good. And so I think he did. I think he went out. I think he he obviously we know the match turned around very quickly. And yeah, I don't think that this will ever happen again. I, I think uh, I think Mohammed Leani probably really regrets that because. He basically functioned as a coach in this moment because a coach, if someone was coaching Nick and if you could come down in the middle of a match, he would have said more or less what, what Leoni was saying, uh, which was, hey, Nick, could you go out there and, and try a little harder? This isn't you. Come on. You can do better than this. I've seen you be amazing in matches. I've, you know, we've practiced that. He, he's basically saying what a coach would say. To try to pump a student up, or not a student, uh, a, a pupil, uh, or a you know whoever they're coaching, into going out there and, and doing better than they're currently doing. So yeah, it was an. I think for me, it wasn't intentional, but I think ultimately, it ended up being the thing that turned this match around, and it was unnecessary. And no, I don't think it'll ever happen again. Agreed. Um, so, uh, two very weird one-offs that kind of happened that now that they've happened, I don't think it's something that you'll see happen again because everybody's going to have their eyes out for it. Sure. Um, so we're going to move on to the WTA side of news. Um, and this one, again, controversy, this is all, and there haven't been like terrible controversies, like people blatantly cheating and stuff, but like they're all odd because... Elise Cornet received a code violation from sportsmanlike conduct after changing her shirt on court. Um, Mikey put in that this is one of those rules that unfortunately just took an incident happening to be changed, you know, old school rule of the game. But it's also kind of odd. Now, there was no loss of serve or points. Um, it was incorrect with accordance to Grand Slam rulebook, but it's open to interpretation. Um, I think the U.S. Open issued an apology and changed the rules so that players could change at the bench during changeovers or in the nearest off-court room if they wished. So what happened was she came out from, I believe it was a bathroom break or something like that, and she had her shirt on backwards um, is what happened. So she, I don't remember if it was a point because I didn't watch the match. I remember if it was a point or a game or something. Actually, it wasn't a whole game because it was in the middle. She realized that she, her shirt was on inside, not inside out, sorry, which her shirt was on backwards. So she quickly pulled it off, turned it around and put it back on as she was putting it back on. That's when the umpire, um, called her front sportsmanlike conduct. Now, did he kind of follow the rules? Yes. However, um, it was pretty obvious when I watched the playback what she was doing. And it was so quick that I think that if he would have waited, a couple of seconds 
until he, she turned around and kind of saw what had happened, he probably wouldn't have made that, that same call because it was pretty clear that um, she realized something was wrong with her shirt and took it off real quick and changed it when she just turned it around. So again, kind of an odd thing. I mean, if it would have been like a point violation, if she would already had a, uh, a conduct call against her or something else, and this would have uh, resulted in losing a, a first serve or a point or a game, you know, it would have been um, much bigger of a deal uh, in my opinion. But, you know, thankfully nothing like that happened. And now we have a rule change based on, you know, an incident like this, which I, you know, wasn't great for her or for the sport to have, but at least it wasn't in a in a manner that resulted in a, a big change in the game. Right. I mean, look, this thing, this whole shirt changing thing, took all of ten, not even ten seconds. I mean, she no, really took her like shirt five off. Five or six. Yeah, t- she took her shirt off, and and look, she was wearing a sports bra underneath. Right. I mean. People go to the beach and and there are women in bikinis with with far you know less uh, you know cloth clothing, involved, yeah, and clothing, clothing protecting involved. them than, than uh, what a so, sports bra does. And right, wife wears sports bras whenever she goes to Zumba and whatnot. You're dancing in a class with a bunch of other people, so it's not like it shows you more than anything else. Right. It, it this was something like it wasn't it wasn't a big deal. This I mean this was something that was yes. The violation was accurate to the rule book, but you know this was something that was completely, as Michael said, outdated and unnecessary. A very old school rule. Um, the fact is, it was something she noticed, and you know, put her shirt on backwards. Give me two seconds. I can, you know, throw this, take it off, put it on right. I'm ready to go. Um, and and so, honestly, uh, to me, if I'm the if I'm the umpire, I, I don't even buy, bat an eyelash at, at this. Um, you know, player down there that's realized that their shirt is on back. Like she took her shirt off for fun, you know. Uh, she just well, it's it's kind know. of hypocritical because now while I haven't seen a guy do it in the middle of the court, um, I mean guys change their shirts at the bench all the time. I mean, heck, I was just watching last night uh, while Borna Chorch was getting his back worked on. Uh, Delpo was sitting there with the shirt off. You know, he had kinesio tape on his right shoulder, but he was changing shirts, but he didn't just like change it quickly. He just, because Borner was getting um, worked on, he just sat there without a shirt. And now I know that there's degrees of, okay, probably can't have women do the same and sit down. The fact is that, you know, if you're going to allow men to change their shirts without having to leave the court, then women should be able to, too, without, you know, being called for a conduct violation. Um, yeah. so, and thankfully, that's now changed. It's over, and this will this will be, I think, across the board everywhere. I think it's something, yeah, not just here, kind of- but I think the other Grand Slams, the other tournaments. If it was ever an issue or a role issue there, it will be quickly, I think, altered. Yeah. All right, so we're gonna get move into the recap. This is set two. Um, we're gonna go through some of just just the matches um, that went through. Now at the very end, I'm going to put the last ones that just happened since we're recording now, Mike, and everybody's already watching this. Um, what's happened today and also last night, because we're missing um, a few matches in there. So first is uh, one of the bigger upsets. Fernando Verdasco uh, took out Andy Murray, seven, five, two, six, six, four, six, four. It was a good showing for Murray, just not fit enough yet. Those are the words of Mikey. And I have to agree, but also a good showing of Verdasco. Um, you know, he felt that, you know, he knew Murray wasn't there 100 percent 
and he took advantage of it, whether or not that, you know, 10 minute break thing helped him a little bit more or not, uh, is, you know, just going to speculate, but it was a good showing by Verdasco as well, too. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, you know, that whole, you know, small bit of controversy aside that we mentioned earlier, uh, this was, uh, Verdasco going out there and, and playing his game, um, and Murray, just not having enough match play. It really comes down to not having enough reps, uh, yep. not enough matches under the belt, uh, not playing actual matches where, you know, a win and a lot, a win and, uh, is on the line. Um, so I just think that Murray just needs to log more matches, you know, and hopefully come Australia, and, he'll be 100%. And that's a, that's a go. tough early round match. Yeah, it is. <laughs> For Dasco, while he's 34, I mean, look at everybody that's over 30 winning Grand Slams now. So it's not really unheard of. The bigger surprise, in my opinion, was, uh, Daniil Mevdevev, uh, taking out Stefano Sisipas. Uh, six, four, six, three, three, six, six, three. Uh, you know, I, I think like you mentioned too before, uh, in our group chat that, you know, this is what happens when there's expectations. Yep. You know, after CC Paws rolled through four of the top 10 players, uh, in the Master Series tournament to make it to the finals. Um, you know, people start putting expectations. Oh, well, heck, you took out four in a week back to back to back to back. You know, now you should go to do a grand slam. And unfortunately, um, it, it can put a lot of pressure that you didn't have, you know, when, when nobody expects you to do anything, you can rise and you can beat people's expectations. But when people expect the world from you, it's hard to deliver sometimes. So I feel that's kind of what happened on that part. Yeah. He's young. Um, he just turned 20. Yeah. You know, we exactly. know. And which is good. I mean, yeah. I've got him. I've got really good feelings about now. I don't want it to say he could, he could mimic, uh, Zverev here. Cause we'll be talking about Zverev soon. Uh, but Zverev kind of did the same thing where he kind of broke out and had some had some good success and then kind of faltered. Now, I think Tsitsipas has more motivation than Zverev does. Um, I just don't see the same motivation on the court uh, from Zverev as I do Tsitsipas. So I'm, I'm holding a brighter outlook, uh, you know, considering he's a little younger, but holding a brighter outlook that Tsitsipas can um, – you know, maybe not this year, next year, but the year after. So he'll be a, a contender for all the slams. Um, Raonic, not a surprise, but then a surprise because him taking out Stan in straight sets is a surprise. It's not a surprise that he beat Stan. Stan's still coming back. He's been playing well. Yeah, he has. Very well. And I think this is more to come. He's going to continue getting back into that form where, you know, at the majors – you got to watch out for big match Stan, you know, and the Stan will come in to you. Um, but I wasn't quite as surprised. You know, Raonic has um, started to get back into his game. Feels like he's pretty healthy. Um, you know, I'll be talking more about him a little bit here too. So uh, good match by Raonic. Now the epic match uh, was Kevin Anderson taking out Denis Shapovalov from Canada. 4-6, uh, 6-3, 6-4, 4-6, 6-4. Uh, Mikey put it was a great effort from Shapo, but that kind of underscores the, the type of match that Anderson was playing in Shapovalov was really back and forth. It kind of felt like David and Goliath, in yeah. my opinion, because not that Shapovalov short, but it just felt like that. Like he was, you know, Anderson has been on a higher pedestal lately. He's been doing extremely well 
in Grand Slams, you know, making it to the finals of multiple Grand Slams within in the last year, including the US Open last year, Wimbledon, um, doing well. Um, and it felt like that's what he was up against, did not did not win at the end. I think he gassed a little bit. Um, Anderson's serve seemed to be getting a little bit better during the fourth and fifth set. So it was just really close. A couple of points here, a couple of points there, and uh Shapo would have had it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Look, uh, you know, the match before you we were talking about Stan, I agree. Um, I was a little surprised that Stan lost that. But, um, you know, growing pains uh, in a way from coming back after a long layoff. When it comes to the Anderson-Shapovalov match, uh, definitely. Look, I, Shapovalov is, is young. Um, you know, he's right there uh, with Tsitsipas as among the, the top three, two, three, four players that we're looking at of this next coming generation that will take over. So, you know, it's something to, to look at and say, hey, look, um, he didn't win, but Shapovalov should be able to learn from this match and, and move forward. But it was a great win by Anderson uh, because it's a five-setter against uh, somebody who has a ton of firepower on the other side. So uh, good for, for Anderson on that win. Uh, and then, Eric, we were going to move on to the uh, Nadal uh, Kakanov. Yeah, Hachinov, sorry. Hachinov. This is a pretty good, uh, pretty good match here. And uh, so it was Kachinov played Nadal. Was it, was it when Nadal won Canada, right? Montreal or Toronto, uh, whatever one it yeah, was. Yeah, Montreal. I think it was Montreal. I think. No, it was, I Toronto. Was, it was Toronto. Yeah. Either way, it's one of those two because women were on the other side. So anyway. Um, he played him really well there. I mean, you got to remember, Kachanov played the first set against Nadal about as sparkly clean uh, as I could remember, just like Chilich did uh, mm-hmm. as well. Um, did the same thing here. Came out, guns a-blazing. He plays – you know what I was going to say? I didn't – I wanted to say this to you in the chat beforehand. But what Kachanov reminds me of, and his name is escaping me at the moment, but it's who beat Nadal – at uh, 09 French. You mean Soderling? Yeah, he's got a game that's like Soderling. He's tall. He's got a wallop of a forehand. The backhand is solid. The serve is good. He just kind of feels like him. In he a reminds way. me more of Safin. Okay, well, I don't remember Safin. Okay, okay. well, yeah. But, but for, for someone who I can remember giving Nadal trouble, who's that type of form, that's what he reminds me of. Mm-hmm. And I think, okay, I can see why. You know, he gives Nadal trouble, especially his forehand carries a lot of weight behind it. It's not just pace. There's a lot of weight behind it. Have you seen his grip? Kachanov's grip is one of like the weirdest, um, really, I don't, I don't know what to call it. It's a severe grip. And when you see him swing, the way his arms twisted, I'm like, okay, I can see how you do it. But I can't see how that's comfortable swinging the racket like that. Like if you just look, look at the slow-mo of him hitting a forehand, Mike, and you'll see what I mean because it looks odd. But he just he, – that's what he does. He's just good at doing it. So um, Mikey put the catch and off, showed a lot here and pushed Nadal surprisingly. Uh, but catch has been playing very well the last few months and getting better every day, which is true. Um, he, I think, is going to be – not necessarily, in my opinion. I mean, I, you could call him a Grand Slam contender at some point here. He's going to work his way up a little bit. But he's going to be someone who's going to be picking off. He's the guy who will pick off a couple of high seeds 
and take him with him, you know, before he yep. exits out until he gets until he gets consistent enough and can go the whole way in a Grand Slam or wins like a Master Series or something. He's definitely one of those people that you just don't want to run into, especially early rounds, because it's just, you know, he plays lights out and that's what it is. He, he's a lights out type of player it, when he's on. He's on, and when he's off, he's off. Now, he was on for most of the day, and it took the ball a lot to get around him and to get the win. Well, I mean, I mean two just, tie breaks at the just end. Just look at – yeah, look at the scoreline. It's a 5 7, seven, five, seven six, seven, six scoreline. I mean, that is as close as – almost about as close as a four-setter is going to get except for maybe all tie breaks. So very, very little separated these two uh, in this match. Um, Nadal, you know, played well. But obviously, you know, Kakanov was, Kakanov was just – you know, he was just basically throwing haymakers at Nadal on every single shot, um, saying, if this gets across the net, this is going to hurt. And I'll be honest, Hakanov is not somebody that I had in my list of players to, to really worry about, you know, go in this next, you know, upcoming, you know, this generation of players that are under 25 that will one day take over and possibly be Grand Slam winners. And yeah, he's got some things to work on, but I'll tell you, if I had to pick somebody, honestly, I know, I know Sitsipas would get the, the votes, I think, for most improved player, more or less because he's just kind of come out of nowhere this year. But if you're looking about a player who has been on, you know, the radar and has been most improved over the last 12 months, to me, right now, it would be Kakanov because his consistency is what I never saw from him. I saw the power. I saw the serve. Those are all great, but I rarely have seen this kind of consistency and not against someone against like Nadal or Djokovic or Federer, uh, players that would more often than not be able to raise their level and force him to make a ton of errors. Uh, that's not what I saw in this match at all. I just saw somebody who was consistently in rallies, pushing Nadal around, playing enough defense, showing, I think, far more athleticism than I gave him credit for, to be honest with you. Um, so, yeah, I got to say, it's, um, yeah, great showing by Kakanov and, uh, you know, good job that uh, Nadal was able to find a way to navigate his way through a very tough match. So, what do you think about Korshaber and Zverev? <laughs> Uh, boy. Uh, okay. So Zverev was one of my talking points. And, uh, you know, in our preview, we talked about the, the, uh, coaching, uh, pickup for, uh, Zverev. Obviously, Lendl is coaching him now officially. Uh, and this is one of those things we thought maybe there would be, uh, an immediate benefit, you know, just having Lendl there, having that stern, gruff, uh, person up there in your box staring at you saying, figure it out yourself, uh, more or less without speaking, uh, would maybe get something out of Zverev and maybe show a bit more spine, a bit more stiffness. Uh, but it might take a few months before that partnership really is able to pay the dividends that we are looking for. Uh, look, Cole Schreiber is a good player. I've always admired his game. He's, he's got a good one hand and backhand, um, a, a very smooth game. Uh, I've always question why he can never do more but do you remember the last time you picked up a pen and noticed the quality 
How about a razor you handled that didn't feel cheaply made? When was the last time a product made a true and lasting impression on you? In this era of the mass-produced and disposable, anything lovingly handcrafted seems to be a rare thing. Maybe it's time for a change, and Spindlecraft can help. At Spindlecraft, passion and superior quality make it stand out from the faceless, automated crowd. Material for each piece of work is thoughtfully chosen, crafted, sanded, and finally polished with the kind of attention to detail and dedication you can't get off of an assembly line. At Spindlecraft, they know that quality of the material is as important as the quality of the craftsmanship and is a reflection of both the artist and the customer. So rather than buying some cheap pens or razors that you won't give a second thought, purchase something from Spindlecraft. To see what they have to offer, go to www.spindlecraft.com and at the checkout, enter the word GEEKS. That's G-E-E-K-S to get 10% off. We're sure that once you have a Spindlecraft product in your hand, you won't want to put it down. Zverev has got so many more weapons than Kohlschreiber has, and this should be the scoreline in favor of Zverev at the at the worst. Uh, the fact is, this should have been a straight sets, maybe a four set win by Zverev. The fact that Kohlschreiber was able to take him out. Especially after Zverev won the first set, it tells you a lot. And you know, there's this, there's this uncomfortable aspect to the way that Zverev has been finishing off his matches lately. Yeah, it's reminded me a bit like Kyrgios, and um, I always forget his name from Australia too. The one that really upsets us and doesn't care. Um, Who's the kid? Which one? They're from Australia. The other one, not Kyrgios. Oh, uh, Tomic. Yeah, Bernard. Yeah, how he just like doesn't care. I get. I, it's like a bad feeling that some of the younger generation are starting that. Like, it's like they throw in the towel mentally too early. Like, oh, I'm not gonna win. Might as well just wrap it up. You know, they don't fight. They don't yeah. fight to the end. You know, that's what a Djokovic and Fed and Nadal do. That's what got them Grand Slams. Is you never give up until the last point's done. You could always turn it around. Yeah, it's showing that grit. That, exactly. that grit. and that's what that's what Hakanov uh, or Hakanov was showing in his Nadal match. You know, when you thought that Nadal had uh, you got it one up a break, and you thought, "Yep, this is over. This sets over." Uh, breaks back. It was this unwillingness to just seed control of leave. the match and. Yeah. That's what right now that that's what Zverev is missing is it's the mental. It's not the physical. He's got the gifts. We know he's got the serve and the backhand. He's got a, a good forehand, not a great forehand, a good forehand, but good enough. It's not the physical stuff. It's, it's honestly all up in the head. It's about him, you know, not getting to a point in the match where he starts to question whether or not he can do it. And it's, it's been happening too much this year. Uh, so this is something he needs to fix. And I think Lendo will do it. I just don't think it's, it was, it wasn't going to be this tournament. Uh, it might be later in the year, but I think we should look to Australia as, as the first test to see if this partnership is going to really pay off. Yeah, I agree. All right. So they're going to go through a couple more here. Um, so team takes out Anderson in straight sets. 
It's a bit surprising, but team's been playing really well. And his balls were just they were they were they were really flying. Um it was, you know, a pretty humid day um when I was watching a bit of the match and it was just one of those I was like, okay, well, I can see he's really playing with some determination that I haven't seen for a bit out of him just because, you know, uh, we've seen team lose on hard courts to people he shouldn't be losing to, but it was a really great showing. And Anderson looked just a little off. It, his, his ground strokes were not as sharp as they were. I think they had a bit to do with the five setter against Shapovalov. Yeah. It just didn't seem like he had everything there. So, you know, great effort from team. Yeah. Hold on. Um, I, I wanted to say this. Hold on. Okay. Uh, Anderson, uh, one of the things is there's two things. One team was playing very efficiently. He only made 13 errors in the entire match against something like 36 or 39 winners. That's number one. Number two is that team took a, a page out of Nadal's playbook and was standing up against the wall basically to get Anderson serves. So instead of Anderson coming in, doing a certain volley, and and he wasn't coming in quick enough to get to the you know get to the net and do a drop volley or put a put away uh uh it, it, the ball at the net basically and so that that forced Anderson to have to play a different game and have to either finish it off at the net or try to push team around after he got the ball back into the court so I think that that nullifying. Anderson of his biggest weapon is what gave team the win to a certain extent. So I agree. Okay. So, um, all right. So next was, uh, Chilich, uh, five set against Epic. Yep. Alex Demonor. Yep. Alex Demonor from, uh, Australia, I think. Yep. Um, I watched this up until the beginning of the third set and then I went to bed. Okay. Cause I was like, Oh, all right. Demonor is up. It was, I think, two all or something like that, or one two in the, in the third set. And I was like, okay, well, you know, I expected him to win one of the next three. Uh, come to find out the next morning that it went till two twenty two a.m., four minutes shy of tying the latest match in U.S. Open history at two twenty six a.m. It's actually three matches that have all there's three matches that have ended at two twenty six a.m. Hmm. It's it's crazy. Yeah, all <laughs> the record is tied is a three way tie right now. So, um, I watched this match from up until you know clearly when I said I stopped and went to bed. I'm not sure it looked like Demonar probably from the highlights um, started gassing a bit. I know Chilich's serve was getting better as the match went on, and I think Demonar was just not as fit to go five sets that late. Um, you know, Chilich has been here before. He's won the U.S. Open. He's been playing really well too, making it to Grand Slam finals and deep into tournaments and so on and so forth. So, um, it's a good showing by Demonor. Um, he gave Chilich, you know, basically everything. Chilich showed some resiliency there. Again, unlike a Zverev, uh, you know, he was down two sets and he came back. He didn't throw in the towel. So that shows you, you know, if you want to win Grand Slams and that's, the mental toughness you got, that's how you're going to do it. Winning matches like that, it's going to give you confidence. The next time he gets a little bit down, he's just, hey, I did it once. I can do it again. You don't just throw it in the towel because you're, you know, you're down two sets. So good match by Chillage. Yeah. Uh, the next one was another great one. <laughs> um, Isner takes out Milos Raonic, um, in five sets, 
Uh, it's a great win for John. I didn't know who was going to win. It was a seesaw. I mean, it was just, it, it was serves and forehands. That's basically what a lot of this match was. Um, to an extent, that's basically what you were watching. Um, Raunich did surprise me with as well as he was playing. Um, I felt that once he lost the third set, I was like, okay, I can see him winning the fourth. But John would probably tank the fourth and then come out strong in the fifth. And that's what it felt like happened. John gave a decent effort. But once he realized pretty quickly he wasn't going to win the fourth set, he saved some energy and then came out in the fifth and just started rocking. So, Well, I mean, you know, uh, Raonic was suffering physically at that point. He'd like his, that too. his I ankle mean, or something, his, his leg. And then he was getting some work done. Uh, as well, I think on a hip, maybe it was a hip issue actually, ultimately, but he's getting some work done. Uh, that, that for end of the fourth set took, I think, everything he had out of him. Um, and of course, he did something to his hip and hip flexor. And that was that. I mean, once that happened, I saw him limping around the court. I, I, yeah, did the match. I don't want to really give, give, you know, thought to that or, you know, blame that. But yeah, I'm sure that made a little bit of a little bit of a, difference there especially in the fifth set so all right uh federer takes out curios now this is after curious wins the next you know his last match he goes against roger federer um played decently well here decent uh, federer played really well i mean federer was getting to balls he didn't need to like even when he was clearly up in the second set he was running down ran down a ball like a drop volley from uh from curios and like flicked it around the net post yeah, you know, Scoop, it kind of scooped a, it. it yeah, like scoop. and it was kind of a point that just didn't really matter. And the fact that he still – he played in a doll, like just every point. He was playing aggressive almost every point, which is good. That's what he needed to do because he's probably going to run into a clash with Djokovic in a quarterfinal. So. Yeah, well, I mean, look, if the thing with this match is, yes, Curious played better. But there's something – for okay, two things. One, Roger – running down every ball was sending curious a message which was i'm not giving you anything and and he was he was sending that message and that scoop across the net it it it's a kind of you know curious was just his jaw dropped i mean you can see pictures of it all over the internet uh video of it uh he, he wanted to go up and talk to roger about the the point after it was over like it's an exhibition match you know and it's like it's a microcosm in that moment that is a problem for Nick. When he doesn't have the motivation, he doesn't compete like he needs to. Uh, there's a certain level of unprofessionalism regarding Curious that has nothing to do even with, with him not trying. It, it's even, even extends to matches where he plays decently well. You know, a part of being a professional is going out there and playing for a lot of reasons, but one of them is that you should to win. give your effort. I mean, if you're not trying to win a grand slam, what are you doing here? Why are you playing? You know, and Kyrgios needs to, to kind of learn that. That's kind of his problem right now is he, he doesn't know what to play for right now. He's searching for motivation on a daily basis, which he can find it. When he can sum up some kind of motivation if he wants to prove something, but if he's not out there to prove something to either the the opponent, the crowd, or himself, then he is 
going through the motions. Yes. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So we'll see. It's just something that's remained to be seen. I mean, you always hope that he's going to turn it around, get someone light a fire under him, and it's going to be the motivation you know he needs because it's always lacking. He needs a coach. You know? He needs a coach. Yeah, if, coach. He gets, if he had the right motivation, he would be winning some Grand Slams. He's oh, yeah. Got the he has the talent. He's got the talent. He's got the game. He's got you know, his backhand is about the only thing that he needs to work on a little bit more. The forehand is wicked. The serve is crazy. It's world class. Um, athletic. He's athletic like Bonfils, but better. Um, it's just something that if he gets the right coach, the right motivation, that he'll be really dangerous. So, uh, moving on from there was Nadal's four set thriller, not really a thriller, but a thriller yesterday against, uh, Nicolas Basilashvili, um, who played a really good tournament and he was like Kachanov where he wasn't giving up either. Like, Every game, every point, he was not just dumping stuff into the net. It was a pretty close match, actually. I know the scoreline of 6-3-6-3 doesn't show it, but that was from a single break um, type of stuff. So it was pretty close. There were, you know, Basilashvili just couldn't really close his break points, and Nadal was having a better effort on the break point chances. So yeah, but I mean, Nadal was, was like... He ended up being something like six or seven for like I don't know seventeen or eighteen in the match. Yeah, well, was, yeah, it was towards the towards the um, after the second set or in the second set, he started getting more break chances. He couldn't do them. Yeah. So that that that's a that's a fitter type of but statistic there. Be- it all be- usually Basilis is not v- that bad. Basilis really, really like Kakanov. He really surprised me uh, as to the level of power that he displayed. Uh, I didn't realize that he was quite that powerful. I mean, I've seen him play before, but I mean, he was. He's usually not that consistent. That's what, yeah. that's the worst part of his game is he is a powerful guy, but he's a, you know, he's a, you're on or you're off and he doesn't really string on the ons together enough. Well, he certainly was uh, in this tournament and he was against Nadal and Nadal yeah. had to utilize it's nice, everything. It's nice to see when people actually make it unsuspectingly to later rounds that they don't just, just throw in the towel because they cashed in because he's going to get a bigger paycheck. He's going to get some points and whatnot. Like, even though he's, you're playing the ball, you're not giving up going out there, you know, and just like, okay, I'm already going to lose. So let's put forth minimal effort type of stuff. Yeah. You know, he put forth maximum effort. And then last we have, um, because of at the time of recording the podcast, um, Kini Shikori defeats Philip Kohlschreiber in straight sets. Uh, pretty routine. Yeah. Six three, six two, seven five. I was watching most of it um before I got in the pool for a little bit. And Nishikori was just playing really well, I gotta say. And he looked like he was trying to shorten points to save his energy for his next round because he's gonna need it. Yeah, he's gonna he's gonna need <laughs> it for sure. Yes. Definitely. And uh so okay, that's all for the ATP. Just a highlight of some of the matches. We didn't go through every the, every one of them. Um same thing here with the WTA. We're just gonna go through a handful of them here. Kind of the upsets, which there were a lot. Yes. Ten out of the yes. top thirteen or fifteen thirteen. I think it's like ten of the top thirteen seeds are gone. Um which is crazy. We have, didn't we have that happen at like the French or Wimbledon? Where the women's side again was like I, I think was mostly Wimbledon. I think Wimbledon is where all the seeds dropped. Okay, so the biggest upset, obviously, um, is Kaya Kanepi defeating Simona Halep. And not just defeating her, like straight sets six, destroying six, six, her. four, defeating her, just destroying her. I I don't you know, we we talked about this before, uh, you know, well me and you and Mikey, um 
Just disappointing second year in a row that Halep has not made it past the first round. And also, it's the first time ever or in I don't know how long that the number one seed from the U.S. Open women's side is lost in the first round. Hmm. I don't. I, it was something crazy like that too. That's what they said. It's because it, it, it's like it's never. I think it's never been done in the Open era that wow. the first the number one seed has lost the first round. Um, so I'll have to double check that for the U.S. Open. Like for a recap of the U.S. Open, um, I'll bring that up. I'm gonna find out exactly what they said it was because it was something kind of crazy. I'm like, yep, that's the statistic you don't want to have your name on. Um, well, okay. she just got pushed around by Kanepi. I mean, I said it in our in our when we were talking on line uh, after the match was over the problem with this match is that Halep was being a retriever uh, she was letting she was ceding too much control of the match to Kanepi and her ground strokes and she was chasing balls down trying to keep enough balls in play that Kanepi would self-destruct and the next shot was going to go into the net or sail long or wide and the problem was is that wasn't happening often enough and it was just ultimately a very bad game plan uh, by Halep. Instead of being a little more risky and trying to stand a little closer to the baseline, take control of some of these rallies and make Kanepi be the one who's who's you know running and chasing balls down and putting her on the defensive, Halep did not do that. And ultimately, that's why she lost in straight sets and it was over in like the blink of an eye. And speaking of things going in the blink of an eye, there's another match we'll be talking about later that went through the blink of an eye. So, uh, Carolina Muchova, I probably butchered that, but uh, she takes out Garbina Muguruza. Now, it was a three-setter, a little bit tougher match, but still, Muguruza gets knocked out early, um, followed by – now, this one wasn't as big of a surprise uh, because of how well she's been playing, but also she's been doing better lately. Is uh, is it Laura Serenko? I don't remember. I don't know her first uh, name. I think it's Lucia Serenko. Okay. Well, Serenko. Um Took out Caroline Wozniacki with a reverse score line of Kanepi and Simone Halep, 6-4, um, She was just playing. She was on fire. Like, she really was. It was – she was surprised herself, I think she said after the match, at how well she was playing and how aggressive that she was. And she was happy to do so and wanted to keep it up. Uh, it showed because Wozniacki, again, I, it feels like it's that post-Grand Slam – Malaise. Funk. Yeah, that, <laughs> that, that funk that, that's been happening to the women lately. I mean, Muguruza and Halep, well, Halep only has one Grand Slam. Muguruza does have two, but there's only a, a couple of women who have more than one Grand Slam. Kerber um, is the only one I know besides Serena lately that has multiple Grand Slams. It's, it's like Kerber, Muguruza, and Serena. Ever, ever, otherwise, in the last couple of years, everybody's winning their first slam type of thing. Ostapenko, Wozniacki, um, uh, and not Halep. Keys, but yeah. Halep, but yeah. then also um, Sloan Stevens. Um, like there's just been this huge list of people winning their first slam, and then nobody's really repeated until Kerber recently. I think it was Kerber. Who didn't Kerber win? Yeah, yeah, sure. So yeah, Kerber, sure. and that wasn't her first. That was her second or third. Third. Third, yeah, exactly. Okay, so yeah, that's uh, it's a worrying thing trend. that's happening. Yeah, it's um, it's- yeah, uh, but but hold on, uh, but Machova, I want to say about her, um, she looked down and out in the first set. Uh, she was completely blown off the court by Muguruza, 
But she turned it around, and I gotta say, uh, that's someone to keep uh, an eye on. It's so, it's a name to remember right now, and and because that's her first major draw. Um, so watch out for her, because yeah, because uh, she definitely has a lot of athleticism and a lot of power. Uh, and we'll see. Hopefully, Wozniacki can rebound from this and we'll see what she does this fall yeah, um, i don't know i mean she's she's i think she's engaged i don't think she's married yet but i think yet. she's engaged so there's gonna be a bit of i still think there's gonna be some time before she really gets back in the horse because you know getting um getting married and whatnot is, is a good distraction just kind of like having a kid mm-hmm. that's serena you know it takes time it takes you away so we'll see um the Big upset. Another big upset was, I mean, not an upset because she's done it before, but lately she hasn't been playing as well. Sibokova taking out Kerber um, in three sets. Um, I didn't watch the match, so I don't really know how it was played out, but I'm expecting that, you know, Kerber didn't expect Sibokova to play the level that she did, um, knowing that in the last couple of years, I mean, Sibokova can, you know, beats a few people here or there, but she hasn't been a serious contender for a Grand Slam in quite some time. Um, yeah. I wanted to say about this match, uh, there was a carryover, I think, and I'm not trying to invalidate Sibokova's win, but in the match before this, Kerber faced Johanna Larson, and that match was tough. I mean, physically, Kerber was gone in that match. You know, that last set, she was, I don't know that I've ever seen Kerber with her hands on her knees trying to catch her breath. She was exhausted. She was in the middle. It was like a hot day. She was completely just wasted on that 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 court. Um, she had no energy. So the fact that she actually made it through that Larson match was kind of amazing. Uh, so I think there's a little carryover here. So, but it's good win for Sobokova and you know a, a tough loss for Kerber. But I think that, that Larson match didn't do her any favors. I don't. I think so as well. Um, now here is a bit of a shocker. Um, Arnia Sabalenka um, beat Petra Kvitova seven five six one. Did didn't just beat her. Like beat her. Like she was pushing her around. The first set scoreline looks closer than it actually was. Um, and then the second set scoreline shows like what the first set basically was, where it was pretty much all Arnia. Um, she was dominating from the get go, basically. Uh, and she's only 20. 19, um, I think. No, she's 20. Is she 20? Um, yeah, she's 20. Um, and so this is kind of good news. Um, now she is and currently while we're discussing this is she is playing uh, Naomi Osaka, uh, who I'm going to talk about next. (laughs) Um, so we'll see how that one comes, but it was a good win by her. Um, you know, only being 20 years of age, um, and that's gotten her, you know, some good press. And hopefully this doesn't get her, you know, too, um, what would I say, too off track with uh, with her matches. Because I think this is the best showing she's had so far in a Grand Slam. Um, so the next match that she's playing right now against Osaka, Osaka um, double bageled uh, Sasnovich, 6-0, 6-0. Um, and a side note here that Osaka's only given up seven games in three matches. Total. Yeah, at that point. That, that's the most dominant performance so far by anybody at the US Open. Seven games through three matches. Uh, now as we speak, uh, it is tied one set all. 
uh, and on serve. So we'll see how um, this match is going to turn out. It's already going to be a three-setter. Um, the next one was Madison Keys taking out Sibukova. Pretty straightforward. She couldn't handle her power. Um, Sibukova, sorry, could not handle Madison's power. She was just pushing her around the court like nobody's business. Um, and that's the kind of Madison Keys that needs to play, and she'll make it back to the finals. You know, I didn't have her in the finals. I had Zvitolina, uh, who actually lost to Sevastova. Uh, I had her winning. Um, but if Madison Keys continues to play like she was playing now, uh, I think she's got a really good shot at making it back into the final. Okay, so we've got a couple more. This includes today, Mike. We've got Sloane Stevens. Now, I had Mertens going further. She beat uh, Elise Mertens in straight sets, 6-3, 6-3. Played a really good, solid game. Um, I didn't see a whole lot of weaknesses there. Um, I didn't watch everything, though. So it just depends on on what you got to see. I only saw some highlights. Did you get to watch the whole match? Yeah, I did. Um, You know, Sloan was just playing the kind of combination of power and defensive magic that she's capable of playing. Um, this is the Sloane Stevens that won the U.S. Open last year. Uh, when Sloane plays like this, when she's on, when her game is on, when she's totally invested in the match and in the tournament, this is the kind of tennis that Sloane Stevens is capable of. Um, and when she's playing like this, the likelihood of beating her is not impossible, but it's, it's inching a little more closer to Serena-like. Uh, when she's playing with this level of authority, um, over the game in her game. So yeah, she played great. Um, and then Sevastova, uh, defeating Svitolina. This is a problem. Um, Svitolina, you know, look, she's, she started this whole Spartan training program, uh, over the, this, over the year. Um, she's kind of transformed her body. Uh, she's been adding more muscle. Um, and she said in her post loss interview that she's got to go and talk to her, her, her training team or his, her coaching staff and her training team about, uh, the changes endurance. to, changes to her body and how that reflects on how she needs to play on the court. Uh, that might bear some truth. I don't know. But what I do know is that for somebody that won, one of the Masters 1000, I think she won Rome this year, and then she just fell on her face at the French Open, goes and wins um, – what, she won, I think – I think I know she's won a Masters 1000 uh, um, hardcourt tournament as well, or the equivalent really, uh, and, and yet she fails again to make it into the deep part of the US Open oh, and vie for her title. And, and that's a problem. She's underachieving. So – yeah. Uh, and then well, Serena versus Kai Kanepi, right? Yeah. So this one was a little bit of a seesaw because Serena came out, blank Kai Kanepi, 6 0. You thought she was going to run, run away with it. And then Kanepi starts pulling a little bit like she did against Halep, starts dictating more, pushing her around the court, and she ends up taking the second set. And then Serena turns it back around and goes, okay, you know, you had your fun, but I'm here to win. And then and kind of imposes her will. And there wasn't much Kanepi could do about it in the third set. I mean, Serena was just going to take control. She did as best she could. But at the end of the day, Serena has been – besides the second set and the second set dip and Kanepi kind of coming back and showing what she was made of, 
Um, I think Serena's looking really well, especially after her win against her sister. When she beat Venus, it was a really quick match, and I felt bad for Venus because she just couldn't do anything right. I mean, everything she did was wrong <laughs> for the most part, and Serena couldn't do anything wrong. So it was – she played better, I think – against her sister than she did uh, against Kanepi, but still played really solid against Kanepi. She's just going to have to tighten up things a little bit. I mean, I think when you blank somebody 6-0 the first set, you can't help but drop a little bit. I mean, it's really hard to be like going for blood still when you just won every game. You know, I can see how it can kind of mess with your psyche a little bit, and that's why there was a small dip. So uh, we'll see. Coming up here is going to be a tougher match um, depending on how things play out. She's uh she's doing really well though, Mike. I think I think you could you could call her the dark horse. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> certainly know? possible. As of right now. I mean, I don't want to say, okay, yeah, she's gonna win it. I'm wrong in my buster anyway, but I mean Keys is playing really well, Stevens is playing really well, Serena's playing really well. So you really can't say anybody particularly. And the last match to go over real quick was Pliskova taking out Ashley Barty. 6464. Six, I did not watch this match. I do not know much about it. Um, just because I, I, I haven't been able to watch everything. Um, so did you watch it at all or did we just going off of the scoreline? Uh, I watched a little bit and, and Carolina Pliskova honestly is, is really, she's operating, um, under the radar right now. She's somebody that nobody's talking about because everyone's talking about keys. So they're talking about Serena, definitely. In Sloan Stevens, um, as well. So Pliskova has kind of been very inconsistent over the last six months or so. Um, she's dropped in the rankings a bit. She thinks she's down to like eighth, I believe. So she's posted solid results without really doing anything particularly great lately. And I think it's allowed her to have some of that pressure off of her back when she was number one or number two or number three in the world. And, uh, so she's, she's, Doing what she needs to do, and she faces Serena next. That is correct. She faces Serena. Stevens faces Sevastova. Madison Keys is going to face the winner of Sharapova, Carlos Suarez Navarro, which I'm going to assume is Sharapova if they play under the lights because she's never lost under the lights. Um, and then you've got either the winner of Sabalinka Osaka playing Serenko or Von Drusova, which uh, we have one, two. Two, three. We had three unseeded in the round of four, and the yeah, the round of sixteen, basically round four is round sixteen. Um, and we had the best seed left is Stevens at number three, and it's just a bunch of high seeds. I mean, besides Stevens, the next highest was Pliskova, and then everybody else is fourteen, nineteen, twenty-two, thirty, twenty-nine. I mean, this is a tournament that the people you would expect to make it to the quarters aren't there, except for Stevens. Nobody else should have really made it to the quarter besides Pliskova. Everybody else is is an upset, per se, you could call it. So yeah, which and, I don't mind because then it's just like, all right, we don't know. You don't know what's going to happen. This isn't a, this isn't a U.S. a Grand Slam where you're like, okay, it's going to be Halep versus who you're picking at the bottom. You know, you're picking this or the other. It's we have no idea. Serena Williams could beat Pliskova or lose. You know, you just don't know how it's going to go, which is kind of exciting in my opinion. Yeah. So, um, before we before we end the podcast, Eric, I want to bring up two things. One is we didn't really mention Djokovic on the men's side, and I want to take a second to to talk about him because he is yeah, a top seed. I, I know not your favorite player, but uh, he's lost two two sets in this tournament so far. Uh, maybe sets where he lost focus a little bit. 
Uh, that being said, I don't know that he's really faced um, the kind of stiff competition at this point that um, that maybe he would have had in in a different draw. I think things well, have fallen. I mean, yeah, I gotta agree with you on that. I mean, Maybe. Gasquet yeah. is okay, but other than that, I mean, he didn't really face um, anybody big because before Gasquet took out Tenny Sandgren, and Tenny took that third set off of him, so hasn't been pushed like he should have. But it's, it's you know, it only gets harder from here, though. Uh, we'll see what happens. But wow. Djokovic has been playing I don't know if I'd say it gets harder because he's facing Sousa. And now Sousa did yeah. take out Karina Busta, took out Luca Pui. But he's going against Sousa. I mean, it would have been a tougher match to go against either Pui or Karina Busta, in my opinion. So I think he's going to get kind of a layup. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Federer is the same way. Federer took out. Curios, which was his harder match. And now he gets Milman. Now Milman, not saying anything bad about Milman. Milman took out Fognini. Milf, uh, Milman took out Kushkushkin, which took out Hyun Chung. Uh, so he's deserved his spot, but he's still not someone who's proven to be a threat, um, at this level of stage. Cause I just think is the furthest, uh, Milman's ever been, uh, the round of 16 in a Grand Slam. So both Djokovic and Federer kind of have weak, um, Week round of uh, 16 matches, whereas like Chilich has to face Gofan. I mean, Kulshir, I mean, Ishikori beat, beating Kulshaber is even tougher. Um, and the same thing for team. Team had to face Kevin Anderson. So it's definitely some people getting a little bit luckier with their draws. And we'll see if that is going to affect them later on or, or, or not. It might not make any difference. Yeah. Uh, all uh, right. All right. That's, I got to read Mikey's final oh, thoughts. Final thoughts um, on, on, on so Mikey's final thoughts are on the men's side. We have seen a lot of great showings from young players this year, um, but we have continued to see the top players still show why they're still the top players. Um, now that doesn't really reflect for the women's side as much, but for the men's certainly. This next week will go a lot. Um, excuse me, will go a lot in showing us what the future uh, tense. I don't know what he's saying, but the future tense might look like. I'm like, what the future might look like. Uh, on the women's side, we have continued to see the top seed struggle and inconsistency in the women's game with how up, uh, how they're losing early. Uh, the top seeds are losing really early, which we just saw again, uh, besides Stevens. Um, as well as, uh, some of the other top players, it has shown that there is no consistent player on tour right now. But we have also uh, continued to see an increase in young players coming out of the woodwork and making impressive runs and making up uh, and making up sets a regular thing on tour. Um, look out for the young players like Keys, Osaka, Sablinka, and quietly the defending champions continue to play well and get herself out of bad situations. We will see if the repeat is as possible and coming this week. I'm gonna have to yell at him for his grammar because this I think it's I think it's autocorrect or artist. It, uh, it could honestly. be autocorrect something, but either way, it made me sound like an idiot. But it's just the way the wording is right now. So um, my thoughts are the men's side kind of going as expected. Are there a couple of surprises? Eh, a little bit, um, but otherwise, for the most part, it's kind of on par. You've got who we'd expect. We've got Delpo. I expected Delpo. I expected it all. I expected Djokovic, and I expected. Um, um, fed as well. So, you know, isn't around it, you know, Chorich, so on and so forth. Some of those are expected, unexpected, but for the most part, the men's side is what you'd expect, especially because I knew Zverev was going to lose. I just had that, had that happen. The women's side, we all know nobody picked. I mean, all of our brackets, I think, are busted. Yeah. But did Mikey, did Mikey pick Sloan? 
or Madison? I think Flynn? you picked. I think you picked Sloan, I believe. I know I picked Halep, <laughs> and that was well, yeah. That. And I picked Svitolina, so yeah. that went. I mean, yours died initially, like immediately. Mine at least lasted in you know till a couple of days ago till Svitolina lost. Um, so yeah, the women signed. Um, it's crazy, but it's also exciting, um, just because you know we have potential for Serena to win her 24th. We have potential for Sloan to repeat. We have potential for Madison to win her first. And we've got potential for uh, someone who's never won one before, as well as someone who hasn't won one in a long time, you know, Sharapova. So you've got kind of each type of storyline is still alive right now. So, uh, All right. And uh, my final thoughts so far on the first week are kind of similar. I, I think that uh, the men's side is kind of – how we thought it might be at this point. Um, all the players are playing pretty well. I think the player that surprised me most right now is Del Potro. He hasn't dropped a set yet. He's basically been eviscerating whoever he plays. Uh, that to me is the player that right now is the scariest looking player currently in this tournament on the men's side. Uh, he looks motivated. He looks deadly and he looks like he's ready to rip that trophy from whoever he has to, to yeah i mean he, he it looks like he's gonna rip the arms off of whoever's in his way and well chuck he's him on the gonna ground. have to face he's gonna have to face isner so he's yep. gonna have a big server if yep. he gets through if he gets through isner he, you know as long as nadal beats team he's gonna face either team or nadal and then he's gonna have the likes of Djokovic or federer more than likely it's true he's still he's got hard matches but you know what he hasn't been tested yet which means he's got a ton in the tank right now. And we'll see what happens between now and then. But right now, I got to say the player that I fear most for any player in this, in this tournament, at least as of this moment is Del Potro. I, do, uh, I agree. The woman's side is, uh, like you said, the parody in the, in the women's game is to the point where nobody's really dominating. Halp is the most consistent player on tour. Definitely. But she does have her slip ups. Um, and it really nobody's safe. Um, and that's just the problem that we have right now is nobody is able to step up and just show that they're the better player week in and week out day after day, uh, and be consistent in that. So, uh, that's where we're at, where we're at right now. It's, it's Serena right now. And there's a good chance. Well, she'll be playing, I believe, uh, Sloan next, if I'm not mistaken. So. Sloan versus Serena, that's going to no, be huge. No, no, no. Uh-uh. I told you I already said what oh. um what it was. Let me let me bring the draw back up. Oh, uh, uh, Stevens, Stevens, it's, it's, and Serena, Serena and Pliskova, and then Stevens, Sevastova. That's right. So, so if they win, then they'll play in the semis. Exactly. So. Exactly. All right. So, so anyway, that that looks to me like a good chance, and we'll see if that happens. But uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, that's it for this episode of the podcast so uh, we will you know be talking here in a week's time and wrapping up the u.s open we are recapping the finals and uh, talking about who won on the women's side and the men's side be exciting stuff a great week of tennis uh, coming up here so definitely watch that because that's going to be great 
and we're probably going to be doing this next Monday. I'd imagine it's you can't really do a recap considering they don't start the men's final until oh, like five in the afternoon or four. Yeah. So it probably won't be done in time. So just going to set the precedent now that I'd expect this the next podcast to come out on Monday. Yeah. So that'll so, give so us time week, to be able to recap it, you know, correctly. Yep. A week now, a week from now. So. Uh Feel free to send in your feedback, any emails, any opinions, and uh, we'll definitely get those uh, read at the opening of the next episode. So, uh, until good. yep, until then, uh, thanks for listening to the podcast, and we'll talk to you next time. See you later. Everyone knows that iTunes reviews really helps their podcast reach more people. But did you know that rating and reviewing us on iTunes will benefit you as well? Every month, we'll be noting who rated and reviewed us across all of our podcasts. Doing so, we'll put you in the running for a gift from our sponsor, Spindlecraft. If you rate and review one of our podcasts, you will gain one entry. If you rate two, you gain two entries, and so on. This allows us to give a little something back for taking the time to rate and review our podcasts. You'll continue to be eligible to win each month for six months, or until the sponsorship ends. Winners will not be authorized to win again. It only takes a few minutes, but we think it's worth it. You should too. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Addict Podcast by Freaking Geeks Media. Be sure to visit freakinggeeks.com as well as our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash freakinggeeks for more great content. Also, please consider rating and reviewing us on iTunes. It really helps. If you would like to write into the podcast and share your thoughts and ask questions, you can do so by sending your email to tennisaddictpodcast at gmail.com. You can contact Michael on Twitter using at Michael underscore Lanik or at Freak Geeks. Intro music for this episode is Danger Storm by Kevin McLeod, which can be found at incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. Outro music is Nowhere Land by Kevin McLeod, which can be found at incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. You can also find the attribution in the episode description as well.